I can feel it. The turn of the earth. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour and the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour and I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me, clinging to the skin of this tiny little world and if we let go, You're listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. We're nerdy, opinionated, overeducated, sex positive, LGBTQAP plus friendly, and highly critical of the Moffat era. Spoilers, adult content, naughty language, and a general disregard for propriety may be found within. Oh, and did I mention we're married? Oh, sweet. Look at these two. How come I never get any of that? Buy me a drink first. Such hard work. But worth it. Hello, and welcome to the 21st episode of Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story, um, our podcast. I am Shana. I am here with my awesomely bearded husband, Daniel. Daniel, say hello. Hello, and awesomely bearded, is that better or worse than beardly? Yeah, no, I don't know. It, it, it just felt right in the moment. Sometimes I just say things. I'm a poet, you know. I do know, and I understand the <laughs> it feels right in the moment excuse. Perfectly fine. <laughs> um, tonight, or today, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, we will be talking about the most recent Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman episode um, entitled The Caretaker. Um, Daniel, would you like to start us off with giving us a quick summary of the events of the episode? Yeah, I'm actually going to cheat here, and I'm going to read the synopsis on the TARDIS data core, which is the uh, wiki for Doctor Who. Oh, okay. Um, Sounds good. And I think we're going to start doing this in every episode, just because it's easier than trying to summarize it ourselves. Hey, that's fair. So here's link the synopsis. To, we'll make sure to link to our resource. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the TARDIS wiki, if you just Google TARDIS wiki... And then anything in Doctor Who, there's a very detailed article on it, just about. Um, That's Because it's written by nerds, which... Yay, nerds! Much, much less respectable than uh, actually paying money to host a podcast about a TV show, I would say. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I pretty much say they're on the same level. <laughs> <laughs> synopsis anyway, for The Caretaker. Synopsis. The mm -hmm. doctor's decision to use Clara's school at the center of a trap results in revelations in her personal life. Meanwhile, a Skovox Blitzer, powerful enough to destroy the planet, is loose in the corridors. Dot, dot, dot. Okay. Well, there, there's a fairly accurate um, summarization without giving away too much of the detail. Yeah, that, that's um, a synopsis. Yes. That is a synopsis. Good job. Uh, so let's start at the beginning of the episode. Um, the beginning of the episode has a, a bit of a montage where there is some time alluded to um, passing where the, the doctor has basically set up the TARDIS in Clara's bedroom. Um, and we Yeah, see, he just lives in our bedroom now, apparently. Yeah, which I'm... Okay, so creep. Factor number one. Um, then, uh, But we do see what could have possibly been an interesting um, subplot. Uh, but which I have lots of issues with, which we'll talk about. Um, we see Clara trying to balance her double life of being a time traveler with the doctor versus trying to start a new relationship and be a teacher. Um, what do you think about how this episode started, Daniel? Um, wow, this feels really formal. Uh, we're, we're having some technical issues with this. We're normally, we're kind of just on laptops. Shannon's actually on her phone right now, and it seems to make a very, I mean, the audio sounds great, better than usual. So I hope, I hope people listening to this, like, appreciate that. But, uh, it, it kind of distances us just a little bit more than we normally would. So, um, interesting, different dynamic. Um, anyway. Uh, what did I think of the beginning of the episode? Uh, pretty much what I thought when I watched the teaser for this episode, which was, uh, didn't we do this already? Uh, with yeah. pretty much all of series six or the last yeah. half of series six. And then the first half of series seven, um, you know, the whole point of the pawns were that they were part-time companions. And we even had in that in series seven, we had an entire episode, the power of three, which was mm -hmm. about them or, supposedly about but not really this you know idea of are you a TARDIS companion or are you are you trying to live your regular life and them having to make a decision between them 
And the idea of kind of coming back to that, like, this isn't new, I think, is kind of my original thought. It's not that I was necessarily saying, oh, this is going to be terrible. It's just like, you're kind of pretending this is a new idea and you did it like last year. Yeah. And I think that 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 was definitely my issue right away with it. Um, I was kind of I, I was interested to see where it would go because it does set up this nice balance of um once we get into the next uh, scene where we actually see that the doctor is going to be infiltrating her school as caretaker um, by going deep undercover, um, which they make lots of jokes about whether or not he can go undercover. And I don't, I don't know. It felt oddly euphemistic. Well, uh, <laughs> euphemistic is interesting. I wasn't even thinking of it on that level. I was thinking mm-hmm. of it on the like, Every doctor in the history of the show, until you get to the Moffat era, kind of effortlessly finds his way into societies. And, like, it's difficult to find a doctor who does not have, like, some degree of social skills to be able to uh, integrate himself into the situations in which he finds himself. Uh, Right. And this seems to be, this one was, I'm sorry to kind of uh, take over just a little bit. This one is co-written by Gareth Roberts, um, who also wrote The Lodger. And Closing Time, which were the two episodes in which the Doctor um, hangs out with, um, you know, kind of regular people the most. Um, And it's kind of a recurring theme, particularly in Gareth Roberts' scripts. Um, Gareth Roberts has written other things. Um, I can give you the list if you're interested. But uh, it does seem to be a running theme with uh, with him. The idea that the Doctor is such a weirdo that he just can't... uh, make his way in regular society which is not something we see in the classic series or in the rtd gardener no. era um no and i think I he would also be okay wrote the it. unicorn and the wasp the shakespeare's code and planet oh. of the dead but i like the unicorn and the wasp don't i wait which episode <laughs> that's is that? the i get the christie one yeah i like that one sorry i had a moment bad fan bad fan um well the shakespeare code is also you know like um, That's but, also... you know, but in particular, you know, he wrote the lodger in closing time, which were the, the two that are very, um, you know, the storm again, dark Lord of all, uh, you know, the doctor gets a job in a retail store, the doctor plays football, you know, well, like the, the very so, so maybe... doctor doesn't fit in the society doctor. Well, maybe that's less of a trend of him and more of a trend of how he works with Moffat. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just wanted to like point that out. That yeah. you, know, you know he well, and and Gareth Roberts also wrote a bunch of uh, like uh, uh, from what I understand. Yeah, he wrote a bunch of Doctor Who novels in the '90s. So he's been writing for Doctor Who for oh, like 20 years at this point. And I want to say like I understand what you're saying. Um, and I would be fine having an episode where we do look at the fact that the doctor is alien and that there is some alien quality to him. Um, I mean, that could even be a really interesting way to talk about otherness. Um, And like, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, But instead you're right. The issue that I have is that it makes him a little bit bumbling and a little, um, he's not as self-aware. He, he thinks that he's doing a really good job at fitting in, but I mean, clearly he's not. But at the same time, clearly he is. People just ignore him, even though he's like speaking full volume and saying, you're not even paying attention to what I'm talking about, which. Well, you know, ultimately that's kind of a TV trope, you know, sort of thing. Like this idea of like the, the kind of the stage whisper, you know, you, you kind of get that idea that um, I don't I, I don't necessarily mind the idea that. You know, I think it's handled well in this episode, the idea that the Doctor actually does kind of go undercover. Mm-hmm. He kind of does just kind of fool everybody. Nobody really pays attention to him. The idea that we have an extended sequence in which Clara tells him, you can't do this, you're too weird. That's kind of the trope that I'm trying to highlight more so than, oh, I see. you know, um, the idea well, that I... Clara sees him in that way, which does not seem to be borne out by the evidence we see in our, from our eyes. No, and that brings me to a point about this episode um, that uh, is really the the biggest problem I have with this episode is these are three main characters who we've seen in previous episodes, the Doctor and Clara and Danny Pink, um, 
feel completely different than they have in past episodes. Um, in a lot of the ways that they are characterized, in a lot of the ways that they react in certain situations. Um, most specifically, I think we see a new side of Danny Pink because the doctor um, is very anti-authoritarian to the degree that he sees a soldier as only a soldier and Danny must be a PE teacher. He couldn't possibly be a maths teacher because he's a soldier and soldiers are only PE teachers, which... Well, you know, there there's a line in it. You know, the the idea we kind of touched on this when we talked about Into the Dalek. The idea yeah. that the Doctor, um, that the Twelfth Doctor in particular, at least in the in the episodes we've seen so far, has this growing antipathy to the idea of soldierdom in general. Like by definition, yeah. a soldier is a PE teacher, a meathead, uh, mm-hmm. which is not at all, again, not borne out by anything in the history of the show. Because, I mean, the third Doctor spent his entire run dealing with soldiers, and he Mm -hmm. certainly had um, arguments with them, and he certainly had clashes with kind of military culture. But there was like he still had a respect. He had a respect for them as people. Also, Mm -hmm. let's just put this out here. Um, The Brigadier (laughs) was a soldier, and when he retires, he goes on to be a math teacher. Oh, see, and that's like kind of spitting in the face of canon even. Exactly. You know, the the idea that the 12th Doctor, you know, there's this there's actually an interesting little bit here where the where the doctor is like being told that Danny Pink is a math teacher. And he says something like, I don't know, it keeps going in like I, I keep hearing that, but it just doesn't go into my head. I just can't get it to sink in. And that's kind of how I feel about all of Moffat's canon in general. Like, <laughs> I know that you say this happened, but it just doesn't like go like it just like it just doesn't go in. I'm just I don't like I don't remember that right. as being canon. I'm just like, yeah, well, that's just some Moffat stupidity. Like that doesn't count, you know, like right. and um, then we get this we get this follow up moment that both of you and I completely missed the first time we watched it. Um, where the doctor is convinced that Claire is actually in love with the drama teacher, I think, um, who is supposed to look like Matt Smith right. and has a bow tie apparently, but I, I didn't love the 12th doctor. So I'm not, I mean the, uh, 11th doctor. So I'm not constantly looking for signs of him coming back and being referenced in some way. Well, I got um, the idea that the 12th doctor thought that, or Capaldi thought that she was in love with that guy, that that was her boyfriend. Yeah. I yeah. didn't get the oh, and he's supposed to like the eleventh Doctor, like that. Yeah, just no, I didn't of, get you that. know. Oh, he's kind of this bookish little dweeby guy. Like I didn't like get like specifically. Oh, he's wearing a bow tie and he's got kind of goofy hair, so he's supposed well, to like the eleventh Doctor. I think what that does is expose some of the things that I just don't understand about Moffat. Um, not okay. So like we're getting into thorough Moffat hatred here, and I really apologize. Um, I'll get out of it in a second. Um, we really try this, not to. We really do work hard not to just make this podcast about. And then Moffat did something stupid. Well, so then we, but the this constant allusion back to um, first Clara having a romantic relationship with Eleven, which I I I didn't really think she did, um, but I but I guess I was supposed to get that. Um, well, she says she fancies him like in that many words in uh, the time of the Doctor. Oh, that's right. In the truth field. So, like, apparently, she she thought it was cute. She was kind of a... I mean, you know, come on. He's this 30-year-old-looking dude in kind of goofy clothes. He goes out and he saves the universe. I mean, I get... You know, I can get being a little, like... He's kind of a... He's an attractive guy, you know? No, and I totally get that. What I don't get is the fact that Moffat thinks he's some weird geek. Um, And... (laughs) So, of course, that's what the 12th Doctor would see in this guy is like, oh, you like the geeky one and not the maths teacher, the P, I mean, the PE teacher, because he couldn't clearly teach maths. And so there's this very uh, schoolyard dynamic set up between like, oh, I want her to like the geeky guy, not the soldier guy. Um, and it starts to feel <sighs> very... I don't, I don't, I don't know any other word for it. I mean, let's let's literature class it up and call it Nabokovian. Um, <laughs> wow, I think that there that, that would be the only time the word Nabokovian is used talking about the caretaker. 
Uh, yeah, probably. At least on a podcast. Um, um. But he, the doctor in this episode feels starts to feel even more continuing on that theme we've seen of a father figure, um, or at least seeing him in that position at the same time as seeing himself as a possible romantic interest for Clara, or at least in competition with her romantic interests, or feels like he has some right to, like, I get approval over who you're dating. Well, they, um, they've explicitly, I mean, they're explicitly making the, okay, if the 11th Doctor was kind of the boyfriend Doctor, which mm-hmm. creepy in its own right, that Capaldi is supposed to be the, the dad. Like, he's supposed to be your father as the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And there is a, you know, I will not uh, pretend that, you know, my father and I have an amazing relationship. And, you know, like, uh, I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about issues that, that, either one of us might or might not have with our parents, but father figure is a really broad umbrella. Right. And there's like the third doctor in Joe Grant, which you and I are going to watch soon because it's really Mm -hmm. important to the history of the show. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Like he treats her like a father treats a daughter, but in a nurturing, caring, uh, trying to help her to better herself, trying to, you know, he can be stern with her, but, not in a, like, I'm competing with your romantic interest way. In a, yeah. I'm trying to help you to be a better person way. And in a, like, no. very loving yeah. and caring way. And the first Doctor kind of has it with uh, Vicky to a large degree. I mean, you know, you see this at times with, you know, many of the Doctors have had this kind of father-daughter relationship mm-hmm. with uh, his companion. And I'm fine with that even. But... Never, Never do you get this, like... I'm simultaneously your dad and I'm trying to compete with your boyfriend. You know, that that's a really weird bit. It's very weird. And, you know, as the episode progresses, the way that Danny starts responding is by being, um, I don't know, acting more like the doctor. Essentially they, they both begin, begin to more and more outwardly objectify Clara and make her a pawn in the argument they're having. Well, and this is one of the reasons because I, I really love the fact that you're leading discussions more on this podcast mm-hmm. because I think you come at things in a very different way than I do sometimes. And you just like, yeah. I would never have brought up Nabokov. That's pretty awesome. Um, but uh, oh, thanks. Now, I'm really I'm really happy that the word Nabokov has been on this podcast like four times now. It's great. Um, but <laughs> you laugh at me. It's awesome. Um, but you know, when we were sitting, because we started watching these episodes twice to kind of get everything in them or try to, you know, watch it once and then kind of see it again and kind of really, uh, for the podcast. And I think that watching it the second time, you and I really started to sit and like talk about in detail about the sexism in the episode. And you were coming at it, not necessarily in a way differently than I did, but I was definitely on this feeling of, you know what, Shannon needs to lead this one because, like, I, <laughs> n- not that, not that I couldn't talk about it, but you really, you should be the one to talk about the sexism in this episode. Um, well, and and to really lead and, the discussion. So I'm going to be quiet and, and, now and let you do that. <laughs> so to be fair, um, I not that long ago spent two days. Um, at school in a workshop talking about patriarchy um, and social systems. Uh, so this this has been a lot on my mind lately. You're, you're a um, grad student and an academic. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Not, um, But it really was on the second watching where I started looking at all these issues that I've had with Danny. Danny has been a very likable character, but he is a very sexist, patriarchal view of a guy. Um when he's going on dates, he's awkward and bumbling because he's not in t- touch with his emotions because he's a man. Um, and then when suddenly he has to prove himself, he puffs up his chest and he's a man and he can tell he orders Clara around, um, essentially. And um, I'm going to skip to the um, quotes that um, I want to read because this is this is really the the crux and it's near the end of the episode, but it was when it really sealed the deal with me of like, I understand this is just sexism. Uh, (laughs) At the end, Danny is talking about the doctor and he says, I know men like him. I've served under them. They push you and make you stronger till you're doing things you never thought you could. I saw you tonight. You did exactly what he told you. You weren't even scared and you should have been. Okay. 
moving on to my next quote and then we'll talk about both of them. Please go ahead. Um, um, he says something to the effect of Clara, if he ever pushes you too far, you have to tell me, um, promise me that. And then he says, if you break that promise, Clara, we're finished. And Clara says, don't say that, <laughs> which makes you understand how I feel about that response. <laughs> and Danny says, um, I'm saying it because if you don't tell me the truth, I can't help you. And I could never stand not being able to help you. And my real issue here is Danny goes from somebody who is, is bumbling, who is very insecure about being a soldier. Um, so much so that he cries in front of his students after they make a little fun of him. Um, he is that emasculated by that experience to feeling like he has to prove his masculinity so much that he is her protector. He is her guardian. And, and when he asks her, why do you do it? She doesn't even take agency in that moment. Um, she, she lets these two men kind of fight with each other over her. Um, and her biggest defense, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. And, you know, really the only defense that she gives for herself is, but really you don't know him like I do. Um, and nothing to do with the fact that I am making these choices. You don't get to make choices for me. You were surprised to hear that I loved you. So clearly we weren't that far along into our relationship. Um, suddenly this spitfire who's constantly putting the doctor in his place, like can't stand up to anybody. And that's, you know, to me, there's this, um, I think that, you know, talking about the sexism and the lack of agency in particular, because I mean, in our last episode, I actually like gave Moffat some credit and talked about, you know, some of the agency, particularly in the female villains and the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they don't fill stereotypical female roles. And in our last episode, and then in Time Heist, uh, you kind of saw a little bit of that. Um, in mm -hmm. here, you're looking at, I mean, this is a very common kind of, if you're just looking at the new series, the R2D Gardner area versus Moffat. You know, the R2D versus Moffat argument about sexism often comes down to, you know, people say the female characters in Moffat's episodes have agency to the degree that the R2D era companions and female characters don't which bull. i think is bull personally i've never because seen you know someone why... like like actually sit down and like go episode through episode through that if somebody yeah. has that i mean i would love to see like that fleshed out because i don't get it at all and this is a very well, like obvious example of clara has absolutely no agency in this episode none None whatsoever. She she takes orders as she's told. She is purely a soldier. And when Danny makes that comparison, again, a conversation that could have been really interesting in another episode, um, but is lost here. Um, his big thing is basically, if if your general's pushing you too hard, come get me and I'll take care of him. And or, or let let me be the general in your life. If we had seen exactly exactly, if we had seen evidence that Danny really is, like, good at this shit. Like, if we had seen, like, some kind of... Uh, like, that that's part of his character, is being able to stand up to bullies, essentially. If we yeah. had seen Clara, like, wanting that or needing that, if we had seen Clara, like, being in any way uh, hesitant about fulfilling this role in the Doctor's life, if we had even seen Clara just ask for this and say, I don't know what to do at this point, I need well, you to help me in, you know, like, like if Clara yeah. had asked for this, you might still have issues with it. But it, like, this literally comes down to the doctor and Danny Pink fighting as Clara, fighting each other with Clara as proxy. Yes. And it's really and, weird and really disturbing. And I don't think it's meant by the, by the writers. No, it's so uncomfortable. And I think that that's the most uncomfortable thing about it. Is, is they don't know that they're being hugely sexist. I don't think. Um, I mean... I mean, these are the unhealthy relationships. Like you, They're unhealthy. They're abusive. Um, can we can we talk... Like, like, let's just step back. You and I are married, right? Yes. Um, in case you didn't know, you know, we are <laughs> married. Um, <laughs> you and I communicate with one another and talk mm -hmm. about things. And, and if yeah. one of us has an issue with the other, we bring it to the person and say, this is an issue. And if I'm, if you're having a trouble with someone in your life 
and you want me to come and help you to deal with that person as, you know, your best friend and husband, you can come to me and ask for it. And well, I can and... say if, hey, this guy is kind of creepy and I will help you if you need it. But well, and not in a like, not the way Danny Pink does it with Clara and not after like a few months of dating vaguely. Well, and let me pick two separate moments. Sure. Sorry, I'm, I'm talking too much again, but please. Oh, no, like, you're fine. It's just one of those things where like, you know, I watch like just if you think take it out of the Doctor Who universe and you just pretend this is its own thing and you just watch the way these people interact with each other. It is it's deeply it is deeply unhealthy. And the narrative well, is telling you it's not unhealthy. The narrative is acting like this is OK, that this is just a drama. You know, this is just something that they're working through. But if if we go along with the doctor's father figure and you know, Danny as, you know, male boyfriend. As um, the penis. As, as the penis. Um, Danny penis. That's what I'm going to call him from now on. We have a title, Danny no, penis. No, you're not. No, you're not. <sighs> but so we have the moment where Clara tries to explain the doctor to Danny and Danny walks out and the doctor makes this big thing like, well, you've explained me to him, but you haven't explained him to me. That is... So first of all, if my father said that to me at my age, you and know, you're roughly, Claire... I mean, Claire is like in her late twenties, you know, I mean, you're, you're yeah, a little, she's be... but you know, when, when you and I first started dating at, yeah. you know, when you were 23, like your dad would never like the idea that your dad would never. say to you, you haven't explained him to me. Yeah. You know, like, you know, if, wow. if I was, if, if I had been 14, maybe that is a suitable response. Um, but that alone, I, I want Claire to turn around and be like, what fucking excuse do I owe you? Like, why do I owe you an explanation about my life when I don't know anything about yours? Right. And I mean, it's like, this is my boyfriend. This is somebody that I care about and you can either respect that or not, but I don't owe you an explanation about this person just because you think like, like, what do you want from me? Like that, that would, I mean... It's, and I, I think that we are supposed to think that the doctor is being overbearing in this, mm -hmm. that the doctor, you know, and at the end we kind of get the line that, you know, the doc, you know, it's like, uh, Danny Pink says, you know, he wants to make sure I'm good enough for you. And the mm -hmm. idea that like, we're supposed to then kind of retroactively view this as the doctor is trying to protect her from Danny, but it's such a, like, it's such a tone he, deaf way of doing it. You know, it's complete. That... I mean, he is treating her like she is incapable of taking care of herself. Um, in the same way, remember I said there were two moments I wanted to talk about. Um, what is the act that Danny finally does that gives the doctor some respect? He does. He so does a backflip. He does a fucking flip over essentially a non-Dalek Dalek. I was um, going to talk about that with you, but yes, no, it's very much a Dalek that isn't a Dalek. It, um, it's a Dalek with a nicer face. Um, I like the design of the creature. That, that's that's like one thing. Yeah. I actually really like the design of the creature. Yeah. Um, Go creature designers, whoever's on their creative team. They don't like, really power do a lot with it, but you know, that, that was nice. So, but it did look continue. great. Yeah. Oh, you just gave me a place to stick that in there. So, you know. Yeah. Um, but so then we have like, and then she says, well, that was kind of like saving the world. And you have like your clever, witty moment. Um, but I mean, it's literally he needs to prove himself to me. Here is my physical act of bravery. Um, I, I did. I did gymnastics. Therefore, I deserve to get Clara's pussy. That's yeah, and, kind of the, the point of that moment. And I mean, like, for, forget these moments where. Danny was concerned about her because, you know, there's this weird guy creeping around school and he doesn't know who she, he is. And like Danny actually has those like Rory moments that we used to talk about where it's like, well, Danny has the most sense here. No one's paying attention to him. Hmm, that's interesting. The doctor um, is though... completely wrong all yeah. through this episode. The idea that the uh, sorry to like completely like I have to get this off my chest. The doctor yeah. is putting this entire school in danger and actively yeah. resists the idea that you would evacuate these people from the building. Like multiple I, times. Multiple times. 
I get that, like, the alien just kind of is where it is, and the robot, like, so he has to kind of go where the robot is, and they do a throwaway line of, like, oh, at night the building's deserted, so it's safe. But, like, no. Like, this is, like, oh my god, there are, like, so many children in this building who could be utterly annihilated by this alien, and there's no reason to do it this way. This is, like, the stupidest thing ever. And when Danny says, I'm going to go and, like, tell people and evacuate this building, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm on his side. And, and I mean, Clara, this is one of those situations where... Clara, at the very beginning, says, is there an alien in the school? Are these children in danger? That's her first question to the doctor. And the doctor yeah. says, yes, there's an alien. Me. Like, I've got this in under control. Dude, this guy is absolutely recklessly endangering the people around him Mm -hmm. with no good reason people said oh this is kind of a fun episode with like relationship stuff and like no this is the story of a psychopath like totally self-involved putting the people around him in danger for no reason that's what this episode is it's very much that and there was an article that you and I both read um, that that drew a comparison to this being a metaphor for addiction and... I will link to uh, the thing in the show notes. And, you know, a lot of what they say in that article is very interesting. Um, but to me, that is doing a lot of work to get that metaphor out of this episode. It's much easier to see this as a very sexist episode um, well, that is sloppily written. And um, there's there's a little bit of like if you, if you pretend death of the author, you know, and you say yeah. this is the narrative we're presented. Let's look at this narrative just as what it is. Mm-hmm. What is the story that's actually being told here? Then the story that's being told is. There are three psychopaths or sociopaths who cannot communicate with one another, who need to get the hell away from each other as soon as possible. Clara is treating the TARDIS as an addict treats heroin. And, uh, you know, these, these are people who are desperately, desperately wrong for one another. That's the, that's the way that, like, if you view this completely divorced from, you know, any idea about what the authors are trying to do, that's pretty much the way to view this, I think. It just clicks into place immediately. Because we realize that the author, that, that Stephen Moffat, is, um, if he's not sexist in his real life, he is certainly a writer of very sexist tropes. And then Gareth Roberts is doing kind of sitcom stuff. And that they're writing this in this very, um, they're trying to, they're trying to communicate things that they are just unable to communicate in this episode. And it just comes across as really, really damaged and creepy. Like this is the level of damage in these characters would be right at home in like a, a, you know, an indie drama, (laughs) you know? Um, Well, and for me, it's not even that it's. If we want to take the the robot out of it, you know, for me, this is still at best a story about an abusive relationship. Yeah. Why does she stay with him? Well, just one more time. I can't miss this one thing. Well, there you don't know him the way that I do. You know, like there's all these signs that this this is all very unhealthy. But the way the story is being told that's not the story they're telling. They're trying to create it into a cute romance. And no, look, the doctor's trying to take care of her. And if there were at some point some kind of commentary on that, uh, the fact that this is all a very sexist structure, it would feel like a commentary on sexism and not sexism itself. But Right. And I, and I think, you know, like that that's the bigger problem I have with it is whatever metaphor you want to project onto this, whether whether or not they were trying to tell a heroin addiction story, whether or not they were trying to tell a story about relationship abuse. Um, (laughs) A Moffat trope, we'll call it that. I'm not going to call it Moffat hate, um, is that there don't really seem to be consequences. And at the end of the episode, we're we're left with a little bit of a cliffhanger, but still really without consequences. It's, it still is like, all right, so we've all talked about this. Um, So, I mean, we may get to see more of it. Um, and maybe I will 
look more kindly on this episode if they resolve some of these issues in in some of the upcoming episodes. Um, But it was really hard for me to watch. I was honestly, the first time I watched it, I was, I kind of ran into the same thing with Time Heist, where, uh, actually, I'm just going to say both times I watched it, I was either bored or horrified. It was kind of one or the other. <laughs> um, I was either bored by the uh, sitcom-y uh, stupid shit or mm-hmm. when I saw it in a larger perspective and just thought about the sexism and the just horrible relationship, you know, horrible people not able to communicate of it if you look at it with any kind of degree of understanding of the way that people actually talk to one another. I thought it was, um, you know, horrifying and it was kind of one or the other. And if I was able to disengage and just view it as kind of like, oh, it's supposed to be fun and they're supposed to be building bridges and look at these people. They're all pretty. And, you know, Danny Pink and Clara are gorgeous people and they have great chemistry together. And isn't that awesome? And if you look at it on that light, it's just kind of, oh, it's kind of fun, I guess. But when you look at it as any when you when you take 10 seconds to think about it it's awful well i i know some people liked this episode um i know some people did too uh but i i think overall for me yes as as someone who is an academic and into this kind of stuff uh, you know an active feminist um the stuff really felt over the top to me. Um, maybe somebody who is not as um, aware to sexism in our society, that, that wouldn't feel so disarming uh, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, so I, I think we've kind of talked about my, my most troublesome issues with the episode, which is sexism. Uh, but I kind of want to rehash, um, I, I was watching the trailer for next week's episode, which is an actual space adventure, which is kind of exciting. Um, yeah, we're going back to the moon, which we haven't done since, uh, Smith and Jones. And I'm down for that. (laughs) Like, like, Um, I'm actually like, oh, we're going back to space and we're going to the moon. Like I'm, I'm down. Like I'm actually... Like maybe it'll be good. I'm I'm excited. I I kind of uh yeah. So but no, I I, I kind of know where you're going. But I'm actually kind of like I see um Doctor Who with spacesuits on the moon, and I'm just immediately involved. It's kind of like you and like old men walking in the woods with shotguns. Um, you know where you're just suddenly like, oh, I I kind of want to watch this. I'm like, yeah, spacesuits on the moon. I'm there. Let's go. <laughs> um, but so in the trailer, I thought. I saw her. Um, there were some stills rela- released later this week, and I'm pretty sure um, that our troublesome student is who got to go to space for who knows why in this episode is joining us in the next episode. You mean Courtney Trouble? <laughs> no. No, Courtney Trouble is is the porn star. Um, uh, you mean director. the queer porn star? The queer porn star and director and producer, Courtney Trouble? Yes. Is she going into space? with no. uh, Peter Capaldi. Courtney, was, I would love to watch that. Well, and we've heard a lot about Courtney in passing. Her, I'm just going to ignore Courtney that you Woods. said that. Her name is actually Courtney Woods in the show. This is the oh. only Doctor Who podcast ever that will both contain the words Nabokovian and Courtney Trouble. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Shit, it doesn't take me reason. remotely seriously. All right, let's for go. good reason. Okay, um... So we hear about her, we, we get foreshadowing, if you will, where um, Clara and Danny have talked about this troublesome student over dinner. We see her being troublesome in, in the classroom. In, in the very first episode, she appears as the um, person who was being troublesome to Clara on her first day of school. Yeah. And then, you know, we kind of hear stories of her. And here she takes not a central role, but definitely she's in this episode. She's finding the doctor. She's and they make kind of explicit comparison between like, oh, I'm kind of a troublemaker and, you know, I don't respect authority and what the doctor was probably like as a child. So um, we also see her parents at parent teacher conferences um, who. Oh, right. They're in this episode, too. I forgot about that. And, um, you know, if 
if on an odd chance we do have a a British um, listener or somebody who is at least more pop, uh, more familiar with uh, pop culture and and references like that in the UK, um, I believe her parents were meant to be seen as somewhat low class. I, you know, the you you said it. You know, we sat and we talked about it because we looked at her parents. And we we kind of looked at their fashion and the way that they were sitting and talking. And you were kind of saying, oh, they're kind of chav or low class, and which are two different things. But, you know, kind of I don't like, know. They're, they're meant to be they're meant to be like they're implied to be kind of low class. I'm like, I don't know, like maybe he's kind of wearing a T-shirt and she's got kind of big dangly earrings, maybe. And maybe that's how they're meant to be portrayed. And. They're black, a- and that's gotta be something that's like maybe they're. And then you said the the key words. They kind of look like Americans, and I went, "Oh yeah, no, clearly they're meant to be low class then." <laughs> and that was the thing to me. I, you know, they were debating the difference between last year she was described as very bad, and this year she's only being described as bad. So that's better, right? Um, so you know. Whether or not they're meant to be seen as low class, like they're still, we we don't get the kindest portrayal or picture of this Courtney child. <laughs> well, well, we get a, I think a very, to me, like I'm sitting and watching Courtney, and I'm like, she's the only sane person in this entire bit, you know, like oh, yeah. in this entire episode. Like she's the one who's like, what's that green light? I want to know what it is. Like she's the one expressing curiosity and interest. And then well, and she's the her... only one who's calling Danny and Claire out for being a couple, um, which is obvious. And I had to look this up, too, because American squatty is um, a term for somebody who's served in the military. Sure. Right, right, right. And, and so, so the Ozzie whole time loves she's saying uh, Ozzy loves a squatty. Ozzy loves squatty. How's squatty? Blah, blah, blah. So and I mean, that joke was overkill this episode. Yeah. Um, but at least we get a sense that they're trying to build her character up. And for a show that I have complained um, for quite a few episodes about a lack of characterization, this certainly makes me think something is going to come of this character. The fact that they've brought her back and now apparently she's in the next episode. You said you, you saw Maybe. her in the next episode. Maybe. She could be. She the could fact... be in the next episode. They're, they're clearly doing something. And mm-hmm. I don't want to speculate about what that is because there could be something really amazing that they're about to unleash upon us. Like that maybe she's the new companion and we completely get blindsided by it. Maybe we meet her as an older woman. Maybe she's Journey Blue's mom or something like, um, yeah. You know, but most likely, if they're doing something with her, it's going to be a big heaping load of shit uh, that <laughs> makes no sense. And I'm preferring to think positively. Um, I'm just like beating my head on the head with a hammer and just going, "No, it's gonna be great. There's gotta be a pony somewhere in this pile of crap." You know, that's kind of where I'm. I'm trying to think optimistically, is what I'm saying. I get you. Uh, you know, so, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I just felt it was worth pointing out. Um, you also mentioned, and I didn't quite mention this, um, I I couldn't quite tell whether or not I thought this episode was racist or not. Um, the, you mean with the, the, fact- uh, the Danny Pink and the, uh, the, the drama teacher bit or something well, else? So we have these two situations where Danny Pink... The doctor assumes that she's going, and this is based off of the fact that I didn't realize the other teacher was supposed to look like Matt Smith, so this might have been completely in my head, but, so the doctor says, reminds me of myself, and I'm like, you just want her her to date the goofy white guy over the black soldier dude, and so, like, then when we have what possibly may be a lower class family that is also black, um... You know, I I started having some questions, but going back and seeing that that was supposed to be a Matt Smith reference and uh, being out 
not sure about the other stuff. Um, but again, that's kind of me putting it out there. If we have somebody who listens and thinks like, yeah, I kind of thought that was racist too. I'd love to hear from you. Or maybe, hey, Shana, you're full of shit and just looking for problems now. Go I'm, ahead. I'm, you know I'm too. kind of agnostic on this issue. I mean, certainly, <laughs> I mean, I think it can't, I think it depends on the perspective you bring to it. I think you could kind of see that as, uh, a little bit racist, but you can also say, you know what, we've really only got so many characters, and it's good that they're putting representation in the episode, you know? Um, yeah, no, I see Courtney it Woods could have been a white girl, and, um, you know, I, I think certainly it's not as overt as we've seen in some other episodes, and... I think that it is kind of British culture versus American culture, and maybe we read things a little bit differently than they do. I guess until I see a little bit more, I'm willing to kind of cut them a little bit of slack on this little bit. Um, but it is something I didn't really notice it. You tweaked to it a little bit more immediately. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm willing to be convinced. But but right now I'm not uh, I'm not in a immediate. Yeah, that was very clearly a racist thing. Um, because there are so many other racist things, and particularly Moffat era who that we could point to, and you know, that are so much more overt that this doesn't. That, it didn't. It didn't even bother me at all. <laughs> like honestly, <laughs> on the scale of the like with the rampant sexism in this episode and the rampant crazy um, bullshit, you know, like the idea that like maybe there's a little bit of a racial bias in the portrayal of the parents of a tertiary character in an episode. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to let that slide for now. But, you know, then again, I'm the white guy. I get to do that. So, you know, um, I've now uh, alienated all of our black <laughs> listeners, which there are. Uh, I would love to have like a complete like all black listeners of this episode so they can tell me I'm wrong. But I have a feeling it's probably not very many right now. Um, uh, I don't know who's listening to us. So, yeah, I think people I think of color like, represent people of um, color. Please but... listen to us. Because I'm going to tell you you're wrong Any, about racism. Anybody listen to us. Because I'm a terrible anybody person. Listen to us. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just, there's a lot in this episode that, and I hate to say it, because I mean, like, this is going to be like the, the sub subtitle of our show. <laughs> a look at all the missed opportunities in Doctor Who <laughs> during Moffat. Um, which is which is completely valid. Like I would I would love to just sit and talk about like yeah that was awesome and man imagine all this other stuff and I I kind of get the feeling that Moffat writes some of this stuff with the idea that people are going to kind of headcanon their way into it that people are going to fill in the details for themselves and that that's part of the fun of being a fan of a show. But when the skeleton he gives you is is bad, it doesn't make me want to just fill in details to make it good. Um, there are certainly fans out there, and more power to them, who really do like watch this stuff and just headcanon their way into, oh no, this was good because what I imagined was this, and then go off for five minutes talking about all the like crazy hate cannon stuff and like all the like details of personality and character that they give to it and say, well, if you see it like this and this is good and more power to mm -hmm. you, if you're able to do that. And I love, I would love to talk to those people and have a conversation. And I just, I want to live in your world because I just can't grant. <laughs> I just can't yeah. grant this show that level of leeway at this point. Um, you know, if it, if this was isolated, I would be really willing to kind of cut it some slack, but it's not. Exactly. And I feel, you know, if somebody could come along and give me an explanation at how this isn't sexist, you know, that would be, that would be mind blog boggling. Um, anyway, I, I think I've kind of said my piece. Um, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up the episode i have i have one thing that i really liked in this episode okay go ahead shoot um the in the like the idea the pe teacher concept is not a bad concept um the idea like not the idea that the doctor doesn't get you're a math teacher and you're a pe teacher but the idea that the doctor sees soldiers as effectively pe teachers as you're a meathead, you're a lunkhead, you go along, you do what you're told, and you um, teach people how to, um, you know, be more physically fit or whatever. But, 
you're ultimately not really adding anything of any like intellectual heft to society. Um, the, I, the, the, because we kind of do think of PE teachers and I've had some good PE teachers. I I've known some really bright people who just happen to work as PE teachers. I'm not blaming the PE teachers of the world for this, but you know, uh, the idea that, you know, connecting this stereotype of a PE teacher to soldiers and connecting that with, uh, you take orders and you're thugs and you go around and you break stuff and that's your job. And the idea, hey, you know of what? That... Hey, hey, you know what? There was already an episode that already did that better. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, their whole third Doctor era did that better. Like, let's not the third Doctor era and the episode, um, which we already know I love. Uh, oh, the Poison Sky, the Centauran stratagem, and the Poison Sky, the Poison Sky, and um, not the fa- not the Family of Blood, the first part where he- they're talking about training. human nature. Yeah, human nature, where they're talking about training people for battle and sending ch- children into battle. I guess that is in the family of blood as well. But yeah, it's I in, mean, there are better of... examples of this. No, 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 no. I'm not like what I'm saying is the idea, like that metaphor, is really interesting. And the doctor says, you know, Capaldi says in this episode, the world is run by PE teachers. You know, which mm-hmm. in a better episode, like if you like, that's actually a really interesting thing to say. In, an, in, in a show like this. And to say, you know, they're basically, you know, PE teachers and then there are math teachers. And these are the kind of two, broadly speaking, categories of people in the world. And the PE teachers are like, they're the Captain Kirks. They're the ones in charge. They're the ones like beating up green people, you know, sort of thing. Where the math teachers are Mr. Spock. And Mr. Spock's going out there and like actually trying to use reason to solve his problems. And instead, you know, sorry to bring up the Star Trek reference, which isn't even really a valid Star Trek reference, but you get the kind of point that I'm making. You kind of get the idea, like, if they had said, this is why I don't like soldiers, because they take orders and they're not thinking about their actions and they're used as a, a tool to force people to obey as opposed to actually defending freedom and that sort of thing. That's an interesting idea, and I just love that idea of like PE teachers rule the world. Like that's a, that was a really cool moment. Um, and then mm-hmm. later, when the doctor and Danny Pink are arguing, and Danny Pink says, "You know, Danny Pink says here's he's a time lord," and suddenly like responds as in a very like what I would call Marxist socialist way, responding to the idea of the lord as a. Uh, you know, as a as a noble, as a you know, you're in charge because you're like aristocracy and hereditary, and you're the generals and we're the yeah. line soldiers. That's a really interesting moment. What the doctor should say is like, yes, I was born into this society. I went to the academy. I became a time lord, and then oh by the way, because they were all officious pricks who gave orders to people and tried to you know. Uh, keep all their power for themselves and I help people. I ran away and did my own thing for the last 2,000 years and I've saved your planet a billion times, so fuck you. That's what he should have said. But that's over mm-hmm. in the better universe. Well, and I'm not even going to say that this argument of, you know, the doctor taking responsibility for what he does to people around him the fact that he does constantly lead people into danger the part that he is basically a general and again we've talked about this a lot in different episodes um but i'm not saying it's 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 not worth talking about more but that's not what this episode is talking about no not at all i what i was i was really just gonna say there's a little like four minute section in the middle you know there's this little like couple of minutes where there's some really interesting stuff going on and maybe we're going to deal with it in a future episode. I would love to see more on that. I would love to see the doctor actually have to grapple with this idea of what, what is the role of the soldier? What is the, you know, does it matter what you're fighting for? Which I think is Mm -hmm. a very clear, you know, a very clear thing that we should be talking about in this conversation, Um, which so far this thread has not, but, and here's where I'm going to like bring up my very optimist thing for the rest of the series or for the next four episodes. Anyway, Stephen Moffat has written or co-written 
every episode this season except for Robot of Sherwood, which was written by Mark Gatiss, who's basically Stephen Moffat's right-hand man at this point. Stephen Moffat has nothing to do with the next four episodes. So maybe, I mean, he's producing, obviously, but he didn't write it. He's not credited as a writer. Which leads me to think that maybe there might be some good shit about to happen. Yeah, okay. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying, you know. Don't get my hopes up, Daniel. Don't get them up. Peter, get my Peter hope Capaldi up. is still amazing. Jenna Coleman. Jenna Coleman, here's where I, the one thing I'm going to say about, or, well, I've got two things. This is going to be a little bit of a long episode, but um, mm-hmm. Jenna Coleman, A, she's a chemistry machine. Like she just has chemistry with everybody. She she managed she did it with Matt Smith. She and Peter Capaldi, like you can talk about the way that they talk to each other. Like he criticizes her looks, which the writing is just kind of bad in that. But mm-hmm. you really get their relationship together. And she has this great relationship with Danny Pink. I mean, Jenna Coleman is just like, man, she just um that's the one thing that I love about Clara. Is that mm-hmm. she just, there's a relationship that, that Jenna Coleman builds with all of her co-stars, which is great. Well, no, and she's a great actress, and, you know, Peter Capaldi's a great actor, but they just don't have much to work with. I'm sorry. I think uh, the other thing I'm going to say about Jenna Coleman, or about Clara, which isn't really about Jenna Coleman, but the one thing that I, well, it's going to connect to something about Jenna Coleman, but Clara, you know, in two episodes this series, and arguably the first kind of four, but really, Robot of, Sher- Robot of Sherwood and Listen, she's mm-hmm. really the main character. Like, she has a ton yeah. to do, and she sells it yeah. immediately. Like, she's like those two episodes are almost Clara's our lead character, and it was mm-hmm. awesome. And, you know, you got a little bit of that even in the first two. Like, you kind of got a sense of, like, Clara really kind of coming to her own. And these last two, and in particular, I mean, in the last episode, in Time Heist, she could have not mm-hmm. been there as far as I was concerned. There was really, she didn't mm-hmm. do anything in that episode. And then in this one, she's very important as an actress, but she's still given nothing and she's given no agency. And mm-hmm. I'm starting to wonder if, um, because I was watching Robert of Sherwood and listen and going like, wow, Clara is so like important to these episodes and she's so great. And the performance is awesome. And the mm-hmm. characterization is great. Like why would Jenna Coleman leave? And then I watched mm-hmm. Time Heist and The Caretaker, and I thought, well, clearly Jenna Coleman should just leave. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm interested to see where they're going. Clearly, they have to get rid of Clara because she's leaving. Um, but I, well, I but they didn't announce like... she was leaving until recently, so they're just going to write her out in the Christmas special. But I'm wondering if this is why she decided to leave. Eh, I don't know. I feel like I can't read that far into it without seeing what happens next. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I'm just, it's just sort of one of those, like, man, now I totally get, like, if this is what the rest of the series is like, I'd leave too. This is, you know, it's it's a terrible role at that point. Yeah, no, I, I, I would feel the same way. Um, well, I'm done talking about how awful it is. All right. Um, uh, one, one more, one more, I'm going to ask you a quick question and then I'm going to, I'll, I'll give, I'll tell about all our Twitter and everything. So you don't have to worry about it because we okay. forgot to do it in the last episode, but, um, this is, we're halfway through series six. How do you, or series eight? How do you feel about series eight so far? I like, feel like whole... it is, it's, it's not very consistent and I still don't really know where they're going, especially with this whole, like, Heaven area, paradise land that is potentially only where the doctor's victims go and also has a female god for whatever reason that looks like all of Moffat's female villains. <laughs> yep. You know, it, it. there's just a whole lot of like, all right, well, let's see what this is. This is setting us up for. And I've yet to really see, oh, what a surprise. The consequences, the conclusions of what this is all setting us up for. If the, I really hope the promised land thing leads to something. I really hope there's a really cool idea there, but uh, probably not. And on that note, I think we'll end the episode. <laughs> All right. Would you like to tell people about our Tumblr and Twitter and email and website, or shall I? Nah, why don't you do that for me, Daniel? All right. You can find all our episodes at Podcast at gmail.com. We are on iTunes. Just search for Oi Spaceman. That's O-I Spaceman. 
uh, and you can find us there. Uh, please leave us a review if you're so inclined because that helps us to rise in the rankings and get us listened to more often and hopefully get a lot more hate mail too. Again, our email address is oispacemanpodcast at gmail.com. That's oispacemanpodcast, all one word. You can and find... You, Go ahead. You, you misspoke earlier when you said where you can find our episodes, so why don't you say that again? Oh, it's oispaceman.libson.com. What did I say? You said the email address. Oh, well, you can email us and we'll just give you the link to oispaceman.libson.com. And that's what I meant when I said that because I never misspeak. Never. Um, You can find me if you want to contact me on my Twitter or Tumblr. I'm Daniel E. Harper. You can find Shana at Inkyosa. That's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A or (laughs) inkyosa.tumblr.com. Bye.